With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we are recording with the one and only Dr. Robert Malone, who is What's up, guys? It's Tommy from Tommy's Podcast. Do you have a podcast? Do you want it censored? Then go to YouTube. Go to Reddit. Go to iTunes. If you don't want it censored, go to Spotify or Rumble. But Spotify pays me more than Rumble, so I'm going to record this ad for them. You can upload it. Trust me. Whether you got a crappy podcast on a, on a MacBook above your parents' garage and it's echoing and everyone can hear the despair and desperation and every syllable you try to eke out without wanting to cry... Or whether your podcast starts to actually make a couple shekels and you got a cool apartment and an air conditioner that works most of the time. Use Spotify. Use Spotify for podcasters. Yeah, you'll start off getting a couple pennies, but I'm several years into it now and I've made, I don't know, I think about a thousand bucks. It's better than nothing. It's better than working at a liquor store with people you hate, with customers you hate, and a boss that hates you. So join Spotify for podcasters and you'll actually start making money. It's worked some it's worked for me. I'm really tired. Who is now joining the elitist group of, of fancy microphones and fancy cameras as we as we've become detached from the humble roots and and ascend to a higher level of resolution and audio fidelity. Dr. Robert Malone, you hold all of the patents for the mRNA vaccine. Despite what everybody says about you, you're kicked off Twitter. And uh as you just said, uh Twitter is indeed a cyber weapon. Your first episode on here was episode four ninety-five, which hastened the quick growth and then uh utter collapse of my youtube channel but <laughs> which i say with love because it has it has brought in more growth to this podcast than my wildest imagination could you talk about um the pfizer eu agreement and what exactly is so uh important about it so uh that one um is important but lot not as important as i thought it was and we'll go into that and then there is the video clip that was just uh has been kind of distributed today from an eu hearing uh um in which there was questioning of pfizer about whether or not pfizer had actually tested the vaccine for prevention of transmission before it was deployed and the uh, witness called from Pfizer flat out categorically denied that they had done any such testing. And they had no idea at the time it was deployed or since whether or not it would actually stop transmission. Um, it was another uh, hope, you know, uh, working at the speed of science. I forget what the specific clip was. So I posted that on um, my Getter link, and you may want to follow that. The... Um, Disclosure you're talking about was the actual contract signed by the European Union with Pfizer, and it obligated all EU states to comply. That's one of the things a lot of people don't appreciate, is the EU is really quite authoritarian. Brussels is not a, a nice, um, you know, happy, happy, let's all get along kind of a place. Uh, and I really learned that in the context of the uh, Maloney uh, election recently in which it became clear to me from my colleagues in Italy as they were helping me comprehend what was going on that uh, in Italy and many of the other what are really client states of Brussels uh, and the United States by the way that's the perception that many Italians have of themselves is they have two taskmasters one is Brussels and the other is the CIA um, they've said so directly to me that that's just the way things have been. Uh, and um, they 
because of the indebtedness that the country has incurred, and of course that was accelerated during the COVID crisis, they functionally have no operational latitude. The bankers own them. The same is true I learned when I traveled to Ireland. Ireland also really is completely beholden to the bankers that it has taken loans out with to get through the COVID crisis. And that's part of what's driving all of this economic um, collapse that's happening in the EU. I mean, who would have thought it? I had a, just I'm riffing here, but I had a colleague, a friend um, from South Africa who is an investment um, manager who had told me last summer that he predicted that the EU was going to come apart and that Germany was going to face a major economic crisis and already the Germans were searching for firewood. And at the time, it just seemed like crazy talk. But here we are. He was just more uh, aware and attuned to the news. So in the case of this Pfizer document, um, uh, colleagues from Italy sent this to me very recently. And uh, they, they seem to think that this was a new disclosed document that had been obtained by activists in Italy and Rome. But in fact, it wasn't. It had been leaked to uh, some Italian radio station, I think, or something, and had been on just kind of sitting there on a server, and people hadn't paid attention to it. So they grabbed it, sent it off to me, and I amplified it. The key things about it, I mean, there's a number of them. You learn the nuance of the negotiation. It has the actual signature page. It shows who did the negotiation on behalf of the EU. And it clearly shows the egregious terms that Pfizer got them to um, accept, which includes complete indemnification from any liability uh, for a ex very extended period of time for anyone using the vaccine. That's the main thing I think that is important in there. There's a lot of, of you know, pages and pages and pages of, of uh, legal information and contract language that is all very favorable to Pfizer. So basically, uh, I think we can conclude from that, that the EU negotiators and presumably what I've heard is the same basic contract has been deployed all over the world with various uh, nuances. I've heard that some versions in some countries include clauses that if you if the country breaches the contract, then they will um, uh, concede to Pfizer ownership or ports or other other tangible assets. Um, yeah, it's it's a amazing situ. But in the I mean, when you think about it, unpack all this. What you had, we now know, was a virus which really wasn't that pathogenic in terms of uh, morbidity and particularly mortality, except when it was mismanaged by dosing with toxic drugs like remdesivir and jamming ventilators uh, tubes down people's throats um, and blowing their lungs out, but. Um, you know, when managed with uh, almost any combination of anti-inflammatory agents, let alone whether you add hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin to it, um, the mortality was very low. And of course, in children, the mortality is, is extremely low. Um, but you had this uh, fear porn uh, coordinated globally, pushed out, and uh, that generates fear in the populace. The politicians have to respond to that fear. Um, and the politicians basically got pushed into a position where in order to appease their, um, their clientele, you know, their populace, they felt that they had to rush and sign these egregious uh, terms and conditions uh, and, and give, uh, you know, amazing profit. Uh, to these companies that had developed these products um, in a rush without adequate testing using government subsidies. So, you know, if you're Pfizer or Moderna, what's not to like here? Um, the government pays you to develop it and then they pay you to deploy it. And then they give you complete indemnification for anything that might go wrong. But that's that's really what that document reveals is it's kind of a historic piece that shows just how badly um, mismanaged the the government the U European Union and by extension many governments all over the world um, uh, uh, um, manage their interface with Pfizer in the early days of the crisis. It kind of 
you kind of start to wonder, like, is this all a psyop to make you yearn for the good old days of the military industrial complex? <laughs> right? right. It's because yeah. it's it's so absurd. Their profits, you know, it's like, can you believe they made forty billion dollars? And then you look back to like oh eight, right? And that was a new paradigm shift of government involvement in the free market. Seven hundred billion dollars for TARP funds. But then you go back to oh one, and you have Rumsfeld just nonchalantly being like, "Yeah, we can't find two point three trillion dollars anyway." And like that kind of you start to look at it more and more, and it does seem like that is the like we've always known yeah. the nucleus of like, power. I I can imagine the boardroom at Halliburton go going um. Damn, we should have got into biologics. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I really do think it is a I think it is a you have you have candidate A and they're way too bad. So you bring in candidate B who's comically evil. And you start going, dude, I would love candidate A. I think that's the whole point is we're looking at COVID and then it's like the war in Ukraine. Though sad, it's like, man, I do wish or I do miss the days of corruption when it was just on TV and you go, ah. Those defense contractors. The I, I, so, Tommy, to your point the other day, uh, <laughs> Bannon called me and he wanted me to go on a segment. Um, and he was talking and and advising me on staying in my lane and um, and uh, which I is not how I'm wired, as you know, Absolutely I not. think neither are you. No, uh, but but he, he started and I go, Steve, you know, the truth is I find this stuff increasingly boring. The, the corruption is so rampant and so deep that it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere you look. There it is. Well, you start <laughs> to have to you start to have to change how you look at it. Right. It's I can only imagine it's something like World War Two. Right. Where it's this unimaginable thing, you know, air power, thousands of B-17s all glistening in the sun, dropping firebombs. But after five years of it, even that sort of armageddon shock and awe you start to go like yeah whatever and it starts then you get to the point where you have civilized men like fdr you know part of a political scion family and his long french cigarettes going build an a-bomb and drop it on a civilian population because you do get to a point where it's so evil that there's no point in shooting the fish in the barrel so you just have to drain the barrel so that's kind of how it starts with covid right it can, but it could have been anything. It could have been COVID. It could have been 08. It could have been the war on terror, whatever you want. But there is something that pulls you into it and you, and you get pulled into the, all the colorfulness of it and Fauci and Moderna and, and, you know, censorship and blah, blah, blah. But as you start to look at it more, you see it's just an extension of the main root system, whatever you want to call it, the Illuminati, the deep state, the rich. I mean, whatever you want to call it. And you start to get bored with the smaller stuff. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They lied about COVID. You're like, what is $700 billion a year for 50 years? A sitting president, Eisenhower? A, I always think about this. Sorry, I know I'm ranting. But like, like Dwight D. Eisenhower, five-star general, supreme allied command or supreme commander of the allied forces, becomes president of the United States, rises to the tippy, tippy top fleshes out the entire continuity of government system. I mean, if there's ever been someone at the top of the throne of the planet, it was Dwight Eisenhower. Three days before he gives up office, he goes from the Oval Office, like, by the way, there's a military industrial complex with has influence both warranted and unwarranted in the halls of the United States, and there's a technocratic elite that are taking over. The Two days later, one day before he gives up office, he brings Kennedy into the office and goes, you know, when there is a nuclear attack plan, you're going to have about 60 seconds to decide. And if all things go south and he picks up the phone and he goes, Opal three and Kennedy goes within 30 seconds, you could feel a thudding in your chest as a helicopter came to pick us up and whisk us away to one of multiple nuclear bunkers. And then Kennedy takes charge, goes, eh, no, we're going to end the war gets his dome popped in Dallas and you have to look back at it all and go, yeah, I'm, COVID kind of gets a little boring. <laughs> you go, there is a machine in charge. COVID's just no pun intended is just a symptom of one of the many legs of the machine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this gets to the Jekyll Island book and oh yeah and yeah everything yeah. else G. Edward Griffin ninety yeah and then well that's the thing you go you go Eisenhower gives that speech in January seventeenth nineteen sixty nineteen sixty one 
You go back 28 years to Spedley Butler, the most decorated Marine in U.S. history, comes out and he goes, hey, uh, people from the DuPont family and the Warburgs and the and the, you know, the Remingtons, they want to they want to give me money, make me the king of America, remove FDR as a figurehead and take 5000 disgruntled soldiers from World War One and march on the Capitol. And the and the Congressional Committee on Un-American Activities just goes, all right. And just and it just <laughs> and, and, and 20 years before that was the creation of the Federal Reserve. So like, yeah, I mean, I'd. I, I know we're like laughing, but like, I also don't know like what else you're supposed to do. Oh, uh, well, the good point. So I got, so we got to be careful here because people Uh nitpick, they nitpick every expression that I have on video now and every Uh little tiny, tiny word. And they use those to attack me. Uh So I did this video with uh, exactly, we're supposed to be somber and we can't, no gallows humor allowed. All right. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I did this uh, video movie with uh, Matthias Desmond in Spain and we're sitting around and the topic comes up about the mass formation psychosis and, um, and we're, it is total gallows humor. We're sitting here talking about it and, and he's saying, yeah, you said those words. And then I became famous and, you know, and, and uh, then the whole use of the term psychosis has become such a big brouhaha um and no i did not invent the term uh it was used by people like sigmund freud uh and and gustav lebon and so many other people um but uh, so we're we're joking about it and somebody takes that clip and, and weaponizes it and shows you know makes the case that it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Matthias and I had. Uh, just deployed that as a joke on humanity uh, as evidenced by our laughing about it. So I just want to put the stake in the sand just because you and I were expressing gallows humor over uh, the absurdity of the whole situation that we find ourselves in and the overwhelming oppressiveness of it. Um, And I think humor is a natural human reaction in order to relieve the stress and and all the other feelings about that. Um, it doesn't mean that we're taking it lightly and we uh, don't appreciate all the death and destruction of JFK and Bob sure. and Bobby and everybody yeah. else, Martin well, Luther. It's, you know, if you really want to kind of use their own weapons against them, everyone's so hell bent on virtue signaling when something gets, I have never been more afraid of Donald Trump. And they, they tweeted out to show you that they're a good person. Throughout history, gallows humor is what you do when you can't even cry because there's nothing else to do but supply yourself with some endogenous uh, endorphins and go, well, you know, I guess we're screwed. So, I mean, if you really want to play technical, laughing is the best virtue signaling you can do because that is what the brain does when there's nothing else to do. That's... I remember my brothers and I laughing several days after my oldest brother died because there's yeah. nothing else to do. Your brain is broken. So yeah. screw those people that, that don't understand how to laugh. If you're not laughing, it's because you haven't dug deep enough. You hadn't looked at what's really going yeah. on. <laughs> how deeply absurd it is. I agree. Yeah. And it's it's been such a journey. I mean, you and I have kind of traveled it together in a strange way with all these podcasts over time. It's been a pleasure for me. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's, it's absolutely been a pleasure for me. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, like you're talking about people saying, oh, you and Matias are having these gallows humors laugh at it. Like, I think it's also important to paint just how chaotic and random these podcasts have been. Like you just said us doing them together for anyone that doesn't know, like what led to that episode 653. This is 652, so almost 300 episodes ago. You, Dr. McCullough, and Dr. Desmond on January 4th of this year. Just so. 
Excuse and me. Good, good, just so, and good job on you for lining that up. Oh, thank you. But like, for people that look at it and they're like, "Oh, this was all brought to get." I've had people tell me that there was like symbolism in that podcast. <laughs> I had Doctor McCullough went to Alex Jones to do Infowars and invited me. I don't. My brother lives in Austin, so I was like, I told my older brother, I'm "Like, dude, do you want to go meet Alex Jones?" And he was like, "Yes." And so, like, I flew down from there. And I had caught norovirus a couple days before. So I'm traveling across the United States on planes with gastroenteritis. And I'll let you Google that and make your own conclusions. Go with my older brother. You know, we're just giggling like schoolgirls. We we get to meet Alex Jones. And that night I go back to my hotel. I don't hang out with my older brother because of the norovirus. I have nothing else to do. And I'm in bed. You had just gone on Joe Rogan's show. So I was just listening to it just to take my mind off of the explosive problem I was having in the bathroom. And I kept hearing you mention mass formation psychosis being me. I was just like, I didn't even know who that doctor was Desmond. I thought he was like a Freud. I thought, I don't know. He's been dead for a while. So I just Googled him, found him, emailed him. And he got back to me. and was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I was like, Oh, cool. You know, he's, and I had no idea he was in Belgium. So I'm trying to like put this podcast together. No idea. He's so many hours away from me. I travel with norovirus back here to Maryland my car gets stuck in the snow the night before at two in the morning. I have to call a tow truck with norovirus. I get back here at 8 a.m. I'm walking to the gym in like a disgusting, dehydrated, sickly manner. And I get a call from you. That's like, I'd love to do it. And I was like, oh, cool. So I like run back here, flustered, like freezing, sick, like cars, like just destroyed with ice have lost God knows how many pounds the previous days through the toilet. And that episode was put together on, on a whim and held together with bubble gum and band-aids. <laughs> There's no big picture here. <laughs> it <laughs> fell into place. I don't. Uh, well, that's, yeah. that's where you have to evoke uh divide providence, right? I mean, <laughs> truly though, <laughs> truly like what, what? So, but I mean, even that, though, the reason I said all of that is like, if you think there's any sort of greater picture here about gallows humor or they're all in on it. No, it was it was having, the, I guess, the arrogance to think that these people would come on my podcast. Well, it was just a a, a bunch of people getting together and, and shooting the bull. Yeah, that's all it was. But even that is the it, like connect Four or Tetris, like the pieces fell together. Um. But that is to uh to kind of completely pivot back from that. It's, sorry, guys, all to hear about my story with gastroenteritis. In terms of what uh what Mr. Bannon said to you, is that something you you find to be true? Because your your book, which is coming out, uh, lies my government told me, it's not. I would imagine solely about COVID. It is about lies. Would would you agree that COVID is just one manifestation of this? The machine, Jekyll Island, military industrial complex, Eisenhower, Absolutely. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, so the way the book flows is um, kind of unusual. I'm told. Uh, and and the story of it was I had helped Bobby uh, Kennedy edit the uh, Fauci book twice, and after I recovered from my depression, um, uh, having read it uh, um, in detail, then. Um, uh, the question was raised, would I like to write a book? And uh, I didn't, they didn't really think that I uh, was a writer. And uh, so the idea was that we just put a compilation of people's personal stories together. Um, uh, and it would all go very fast, which is why the deadline keeps slipping. Um, and it would be, you know, cheap and easy. And somebody would write an introduction and slam bam. And there it was. Uh, and uh I decide that's that's part of what made me decide to launch the Substack was the logic that I could serialize the chapters because I can tell you that the uh, I, I actually I don't think we ever actually got the uh, um, uh, stipend retainer that was supposed to come to us for the book and so it would not have fed the horses for a month we'll just okay. leave it at that okay. um, so. So we launched into the Substack, and uh, then we had to kind of make sense of, about what a book structure would be. And um, so I did a lot of back and forth with Jill, trying to 
figure this out. And she's going to be a co-author on the book now, by the way. Um, she's put a lot into it and deserves to be a co-author. But um, the, the structure is wrapped around how a physician encounters a patient. And there's three main things that, because I'm, you know, coming from my core competency, there's three main things that happen in the transaction between a physician and a patient. The first is the history and physical. That's when the patient comes to the doctor with their chief complaint. The second one is the diagnosis. And the third one is the treatment plan, you know, very simple. So the book is structured around that. And so the history and physical part is a series of first person narratives uh, from people like Merrill Nass and and uh, Pierre Corey and myself and many others saying, this is what I've experienced over the last two plus years. This is how I've encountered COVID. Um, these are the things that have been done to me. These are the experiences I've had. Um, you know, deplatforming, losing your license, all those kinds of things, the censorship, um, the fear porn, all that. And then the second part is kind of examining it and following the, the trail of what happened to us. Uh, you know, what, how do we make sense out of this experience that we've all had? So the second part is all about sense making and it follows, you know, through literally does uh, talk about the central banks and the BIS and the Rothschilds as one chapter uh, talks a lot about censorship. Um, it talks about the science of what's happened or the non-science. It talks about scientism. It has a whole bunch of philosophy in there about what underpins it, uh, what we've experienced, etc. And then the last part that's a little shorter is, is what can we do about it? What can we do going forward? And that was the hardest part to write mm -hmm. um, is uh, the title that everybody agreed we should use is the lies my government told me and the better times ahead. And as I got into it, it just got harder and harder to imagine the better times ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, that is kind of one of the things is whenever I find myself rambling, which is every day on this podcast, as I'll get to the end of just, you know, 10 minutes ago, yelling about Dwight Eisenhower and General Smedley Butler. And you do kind of come to this point where you're like, well, what's the positive recommendation? Because there's no, there is, but I would argue there isn't really much value in stating what's wrong. Really, anybody with eyes and ears can say what's wrong, right? Warfare, hunger, rape. Okay, good, great, noted. Now what? If yeah. there isn't a recommendation, it's kind of a moot point. And and I think that we're we can all at least you and I probably could agree that what we've seen, we were just talking about it, is this heavy hand of uh globalist um hyper wealthy um that control virtually all the capital and and most of the companies of the world. And uh they exist in a space that is truly transnational. Um with uh, typically with very deep involvement with the CCP. Um, and they, they live in a world in which they believe that it is ethically appropriate to manipulate uh, the rest of us in so many different ways, uh, psychologically, physically, economically, et cetera, et cetera. And the, you know, we, we all know the metaphor that's bandied about all the time about sheeple Mm -hmm. But in fact, we are treated like labs, livestock. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, when you when you come to terms with the existence of people with that much power that um, have, if they have an ethical framework, it's certainly alien to me. It's not the one I was raised in. Um, uh you know, how, how do you accommodate yourself to that in the likelihood that they will succeed in leveraging this for even more power than they already have? And they have clearly already leveraged it for more economic power than they had before. And I think the only answer that I've heard that's at all compelling is decentralization. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, community, local community, decentralization, states' rights, the states' rights argument is so important. And I'm convinced that there is the belief in the world that these folks live in, that the United States and the U.S. Constitution and the U.S. populace represents 
the major obstacle to implementing their objectives. We are the last bastion of freedom. That's not hype. That's not a that's not a slogan. Yeah. It is, it is the final and biggest speed bump. I just came from Toronto. Uh, I was there over the weekend to watch the screening of this new movie um, called Uninformed Consent. Uh, recommend it for you. Uh, and um, it's available free. You can find it on the web. Uh, and I got to say, I, I so we, we drop into Toronto Airport. That's a long story. Um, uh, walk, it seems like a mile with no bathrooms. And uh, speaking of bathrooms, you would have not had a good time. Uh, and uh, we finally get into the lobby and the sense of knowing what Trudeau has done, Canadian people, knowing the nuance of the truckers, having lived that vicariously because I have so many friends up there that I've been communicating with, physicians and otherwise. Um, I, I, I half expected to see black and red banners with Klaus Schwab's face yeah. arrayed around the central lobby. Yeah. Um, there's just this, this uh, oppressiveness uh, with what's gone on. And then, then I go and speak to these folks um, and we have a little um, get together talk about gallows humor, um, in Little Italy in, in Toronto. And um, uh, they're all, um, they've all been traumatized. We've all been traumatized. Uh, and, and no one knows, you know, where can you go now? Where can you go in the world? For them, <clears throat> it's kind of bizarre. Uh, they all want to go to Florida. I, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the the clip from Bill Maher um, that was just out. He said, um, you know, if they're going to force me to take another jab, I'm going to move to Florida. Everybody sees DeSantis and Joe Latipo as the beacon of liberty now all over the world. When, um, you know, there's kind of, there's like a famous like atheist quote. Um, and it's, and it's not, I'm personally, have my own relationship with god but that's not the point i'm trying to make is but there is kind of a you know it is a, a catchy atheist quote and it's a it's like there are three thousand gods throughout like modern history when you understand why you don't believe in 2999 of them you'll understand that i just don't believe in one more to me that applies to when people say like oh we're just going to go to florida well you now understand the fervent obsession some people have pointing at myself and others at making sure the United States doesn't fall because you, what you are doing is fleeing to another bastion. Yeah. Those bastions run out. Yep. There's a limited number of lifeboats. We're going to get off the Titanic. There's a lifeboat over there. There's X number of lifeboats guys. No, we just got to get on that one. Well, then you'll understand why I'm so desperately talking about why we need to repair these lifeboats. Ah, you're just a Patriot. What? Like, huh? It logically doesn't, it doesn't, the puzzle pieces don't connect. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Um, and that that gets to so many other things about the psychological state of a population yeah. um, that has been intentionally created. Um, you know, whatever you want to say about it, whether we want to call it a psychosis or a hypnosis or what. Um, uh, the bottom line is it's it's self-evident mm -hmm. that a large fraction of the population seems to walk around in a stupor. And it's incredibly frustrating for those of us that are awake mm -hmm. um, to, to just say, I mean, we just want to jump up and down and scream and say, please wake up. <laughs> yeah. It which kind of brings me to like, I always have to zoom out more and more and try to like, look at what it is that's going on. Um, and there's like two levels and I'll, I guess I'll go to like the first one, the lower one, which is still pretty high. 
you're a bright guy. You you understand science. I know that's a pretty broad broad statement, but is it? And I don't like it. But if we were just look to a look at it objectively, what we're witnessing right now with the hyper wealthy, with the the trans their transnational nation or their transnational identity, they don't they're not rooted in the country. Is this a natural end point? Is this just the modern version of like speciation where you're you're breaking away from, you know, there's all the different types of 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 monkeys and, you know, one of them eventually stands up with opposable thumbs. You you break away. Are we is this just a and it's bad because that doesn't bode well for me or you or anybody listening to this. But is this a natural end point of the hyper wealthy take all of the wealth they'll have the best medical care they'll transcend with first implants and then custom grown organs and then genetic manipulation and eventually you know nano enhancement and then i guess the ultimate cyber dream is to become one with the computer are we watching just like the top kind of is the cell undergoing meiosis or mitosis or whatever so that's fascinating you bring that up. Um, that is the belief system of the WEF, which you just enumerated. Um, and that is the belief system that underpins, underpins the logic of transhumanism. And, and to some extent, it underpins the logic of the transgender initiatives. Uh, that... Um, and, and Mr. Harari, who is kind of the chief scientific officer for the WEF, is notorious for advancing just precisely what you were mentioning as a very serious uh, um, thesis. Uh, and um, uh, so I think his the first uh, main book is uh, titled Sapiens, or that's one mm -hmm. of the key words in it. Um, and I'm told that's now commonly taught in many universities. Uh, and then the second one, um, the key word is uh, homo deus, which is to say God man. And this is the thesis behind his uh, statements that so many find outrageous, that um, God is dead and uh, man is God, uh, that, that they or he have now positioned themselves as the new gods um the hubris is profound um uh uh and and the threat is real i mean this is um uh somewhere in the narcissist psychopath sociopath axis um uh and and there there really does seem to be a belief system that um, there is a need for depopulation. Mm -hmm. uh, and there does seem to be a belief system that um, there will be a period of transition uh, where there is surplus labor. Um, there's a, another frame uh, or lens through which this has been interpreted. Um, uh, those that are of the Marxist bent um, see this you know more as serious intellectual marxists not uh you know wave, wave the red flag and break away yeah, yeah yeah um uh that um uh this what we're approaching is the inevitable crisis of capitalism that um Karl marx predicted um where the internal contradictions of capitalism uh where uh the uh, uh means of production um, uh, gradually uh, remove on an incremental basis uh, the cost of labor as much as possible. And you get to a point where you have done so to such an extent that you really cannot continue to support the salaries of uh, the labor class. I read a fascinating essay this morning, hasn't been published, that was touting this all as kind of a good thing uh, in a transition period that we're in being the challenge, but that uh, it was envisioning a techno uh, utopia 
in which uh, we would have machines building machines. You know, it's it's uh, um, this is the, the Terminator series or the mm -hmm. Matrix are the opposite versions or the dystopia versions of that. But uh, that that we're coming to an age in which there would be enormous abundance of basically consumer goods. Um, as a consequence of uh, digitization and uh, technocracy and robotics and mechanization. And, uh, and our challenge is gonna be, what do we do with all these luxury goods and all this free time? Uh, and it, it totally, the essay completely disregarded the little fly in the ointment called population. Uh, <laughs> but um, but that, there, there is a strange, um, almost euphoria in, in the thinking behind that some of these people are showing um, this, this belief system of uh, um, that we are on the threshold of some period of, of unlimited abundance. And we just have to get through the problem of all of the unnecessary eaters. Uh, um, and, uh, and of course we'll do that with universal basic income uh, you know, with no comprehension of what uh, any of these subsidy type programs do to the human soul and to families and everything else. Um, I, it is, it is hard to encounter this um, utilitarian utopia thinking um, and uh, process its meaning that, um, a friend of mine sent me a book um, that I'm starting to work through called Conflict of Visions by Thomas Sowell, Ideologic Origins of Political Struggles. And he makes the case that there are kind of two ways of looking at man, constrained and unconstrained. And that uh, um, our constitution in Adam Smith and that whole lineage is a, a constitution is a great expression of the logic of a constrained view of man, that man is inherently flawed. And what we have to do is things like build checks and balances to control his flaws and channel them in productive ways. Uh, this is the basis of capitalism. And the unconstrained view is basically uh, Rousseauian uh, in you know that the natural state of man is to have a pure heart and uh, to just coexist in nature in a, in a wonderful, happy place. Uh, and that if we could only free man from all of the constraints and problems imposed on him, I, I'm in a non-gender specific fashion, uh, um, uh, over time as, as man is matured, then uh, the true nature of man uh, would be freed and we would all live in a happy place. Uh, and, and I think that's, that, that is part of what we're dealing with is that um, those two fundamental visions are at odds with each other. And, and when we look at a lot of the kind of socialist Marxist logic that's being promoted right now, um, that's coming from this uh, world where the beliefs the system that seems to dominate is that we can get to utopia if we only do fill in the blank, this, that, the other thing, right? Isn't, and isn't that always the, isn't always. that always like the, the yeah. last, yeah. The famous got, last words before yeah. you fall into dystopia? Yeah. And you and I are of the cast that's, that's busy going, Hey guys, uh, there's this history thing. <laughs> there, there are people still alive from the. It's not even like uh, two thousand years ago. There yeah. are people alive with faded tattoos on their wrists from the last guy that said, "If we just clean it all up real quick, it's going to be dirty. Mm -hmm. But if we just clean it all up real quick, we're good. We're Gucci." And it's like, and yeah, you have to wonder: Are they pure evil or are they true believers? Which is almost scarier i i think so that you're just hitting on another one of the sensitive topics that keeps coming up more and more and it's uh the issue of whether there actually is evil and what does evil constitute and uh these are big questions we're talking about here um uh and 
and that seems to blend straight into is is there a god is there a divinity is there something which is beyond all of us um whatever however you want to construct it um and is there a fundamental interplay between good and evil and uh the phrase i forget the quote from uh you know um evil runs through the hearts of each of us that that uh this struggle between good and evil is something that is a very personal one that each of us have to battle uh and um it has always been the nature of man the lot of man to have to fight that battle on a on an individual basis and i do think that we have had as i look out on the things even that are happening in the present the divisiveness just as a, a kind of a trivial example of what's happening in this uh resistance movement whatever that means globally about the vaccines or medical freedom or whatever um there is a, a whole lot of division going on right now uh, organizations are collapsing left and right mm -hmm. and um uh you know there's there's various nefarious actors moving in that space but uh it it seems to be um very much driven a, a lot of what i'm seeing by narcissism and egoism uh and that that axis psychological axis is the one that contains um the uh sociopathy and um psychopathy behaviors the difference between one is one is developed and one is born um psychopathy is more i don't want to say it's on the autism spectrum but it's a deficit of mm -hmm. inborn deficit of empathy yeah um whereas sociopathy is more of a learned behavior um as i understand it i'm not a psychic psychiatric professional i just play one on tv yeah. um so uh that's I, I think that's what I see around us um, in the West in particular, not so much in um, Africa, in some of the emerging economies, is a rampant, rampant narcissism. And um, I think that in a, and I talk about this in the book, I really think that the cancel culture censorship all that it can be traced back at least one significant thread traces back to sheltered children that are oh, yeah. are are believed you know are protected and and come to believe that they have the right to be protected from any um any existential threat any stressor anything that would cause them to have cognitive dissonance they have the right to be protected from any of that and from any other potential stressors in their life they have they're entitled to that as the comedian tim dillon said well i'm kind of looking at this as like it almost goes perfectly in hand with a bunch of ungrateful people who think that everything should be handed with them as the comedian tim dillon said saying that you see the world through the lens of liberal or conservative really is just the shirking of independent thought because you guys nicely put yeah, yeah, he's the funniest guy in the world. But he said that years ago, and I always think about it because if you look at something, you go, "Hmm, you know, I'm, I'm for, I vote Republican, but this guy is pro limiting the Second Amendment." But the Republican said it, and everyone, on, no, 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 that's not independent thought. Or conversely, well, you know, I am liberal, but they did say take the vaccine or you're fired. No, 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 that's not bodily autonomy. But there is a shirking of independent thought. What's independent thought? got to get those neurons sweating what's that yeah. that's work that's yeah. you got to work it's the same people that don't want to work so why would they want to work mentally so throw up a shield tell me what's right tell me what's wrong tell me what's well put. information well it's put. not mine it's tim dillon's credit to him um well I'll, can i riff off of that just a little sure. bit go for it it's it's been a topic in a couple of my sub stacks and you know that over time i've consistently said don't let me tell you what to think I'm trying to help you to think How do you think? have to think. Yeah. You have to think for yourself. Um, and that is our only way that that is our weapon against tyranny. If we have a shield and a sword against tyranny, it's independent thought. Yeah. And, and what, what I've taken to doing recently is citing a website uh, that is your logical fallacy is, 
Okay, so if you Google that or don't use Google, please, uh, DuckDuckGo or whatever your favorite is, um, uh, um, your logical fallacy is. What you'll find is a great little graphic presentation with links for all the common logical fallacies. And what I encourage my readers to do is take some time and learn the logical fallacies. And once you do, you can see right through the bullshit that mm -hmm. has been pushed at you all the time in the media. Yeah. Because they apply, they use like the straw man is one of their favorites. Appeal to authority is another uh -huh. favorite. There's uh, no true Scotsman is another one. There's a bunch of these that they use time and time and time again. They're kind of lazy about it. And, and once you see them, you can just, you know, it's like uh, that. What is it that it's really a popular meme now, the glasses uh, for oh, the, yeah, yeah, for they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see the the truth, yeah, yeah. It's almost um, like it's almost like pulling aside a kid and being like, "Listen, the girl that likes you is going to act like she doesn't like you. You know, you're, you're the the older kids are going to say they took your nose. They actually can't take your nose. It's all <laughs> it's all an illusion, and uh, you're probably never going to encounter quicksand in your life. So don't worry about it. <laughs> if you were told that middle school and high school would be so much less horrifying. <laughs> Right? If you yeah. look back and go, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that is, I think that is our journey. If you sure. and I in these podcasts have a mission, it's to help our viewers think for themselves and to question, not just question authority, everything. question everything. Yeah. And you're including right. Us. Including us. But that's the, the big ugly lesson um, that I learned from Matthias Desmond is that only about 10% of people really want to be free. The rest want to be told what to do. Again, Tim Dillon, the, the, the reality is, is the more you get to observe society, he goes, the more you realize that people like the boot, they, they act like they don't. They do. They, they, they like to dress up as, I'm a freedom fighter. They like the boot. They like the blacked out van. They like it. I, I like to say, um, you know, staying in the metaphor of, of childhood dysfunctional uh, behaviors, um, they all want a harsh father. Well, that's what Elsie says, but I was using a little cleaner language for the podcast. He goes, <laughs> they all want a daddy figure. He's yeah, like, they all they want, they, he's a gay comedian. He goes, they all want daddy. They want yeah. daddy to come home from work and put him in place. I don't think he's entirely wrong. No, I, I, we were taught this in med school at Northwestern that there's kind of two categories of patients. And it's my big flaw as a clinician uh, is that there are those who just want to be told what to do. And there are those that want you to talk about through all the options and, and discuss the diagnosis with them. And uh, the punchline is almost all of them just want to be told what to do. Yeah. The other one just wants <laughs> you to let them down a little nicer. Yeah. Well, you can do A, B, C, but I recommend D. Okay, yeah. I chose D. Sure you yeah. did, buddy. Sure you did. <laughs> um, and I know I only got you for a couple more minutes. So I'll try to I'll try to wrap it all in. Um, about one thing which you said about UBI, it's gonna be it's gonna be utopia. We're never gonna have to work. Don't forget, they also said that you're gonna take some really warm showers, and then we're gonna give you new clean clothes. And that's what they said to the Jews right after the train. So don't don't fall for the uh, don't fall for the the gold at the end of the rainbow. The shiny not, object, yeah, exactly. That's the last that's the last trick they give, right? They, yeah. Um, and and along those lines, the uh, the shiny object of not only universal basic income, but centralized digital cyber currency. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's there's a bunch of these little shiny objects that they're showing us, right and you got you've got to look and say, hmm, does that make sense? And if you do that, I suspect you end up buying gold and silver. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the end. That's the end. I, I I can I can give you if you're wondering what is the end goal of all these red pills. It's 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 screaming at a microphone in your apartment trying to hoard gold and water. I, I can tell you what the end goal is. It's 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 going, huh? What do I do now? Um, but so I guess to if we're gonna you know define the, the transhumanism that speciation that the separation of the cells, but completely uh, lopsided in terms of resources. To me, there's then that leaves us with two things. And the first is the, the the bridge left, not left, right, conservative, liberal. I just mean what what option one. Option one is is you start to understand the pilgrims leaving Europe, 
what, 500 years ago. And what do I mean by that? And I'm a little more shaky on my history then. So excuse me if I say something incorrect. But at the time, that is the the, the pinnacle of, of human civilization, right? Just yeah. for the time in terms of... Or, or, or you're getting booted off the continent to go be a prisoner in Australia. That's, uh, yeah, there's because... another one. That, that, that's <laughs> yeah. also an option. But So it's 500 years ago. But at the time, don't look at it from 500 years ago. Look at it from where they are then. They've got cobblestone streets. They've got stained glass windows. They've got uh, Gutenberg's printing press. I mean, they're at the bee's knees. Da Vinci is yeah. the modern day Musk. He's like, I believe there's going to be a flying machine one day. And like, you're like, Man, we are really living at the pinnacle of the world. I mean, they don't think the world, the earth's flat anymore. I mean, they think that we might not even be the center of the, like it is, you're at the precipice of a new world. People still got on boats for a three month journey across the ocean. They had a good chance of dying in. <laughs> yeah. Best case is you, you die. And the ship doesn't go down. Worst case is you, you drown or drink salt water or you get eaten by a shark. And if you play the cards right and the gods really smile upon you, you get to a new land where you might be raped and eaten by some indige or you might conquer them and then die from a disease. Best case scenario, you'll get here. And once you're all settled down, about another 200 years will pass. And then if you're lucky, you'll get in a wagon again and go four months across to go find some gold. Who in their right mind would do that? Well, they were they were escaping persecution. And that sounds great in a textbook that you learn in middle school before Thanksgiving break. And then you make like the cardboard turkey that looks like your hand or whatever the hell. But then you start to think about, well, where are we now? In 500 years, when they look back at us and they're like, the Internet was only 30 years old. You know, everybody had smartphones. Uh, you know, social media, you can all access each other. There's an abundance of information that the library of Alexandria is available in your pocket. You have, you have, you have Uber delivered to your, I can have Taco Bell delivered to my door while I'm playing 4k video games with my friends across the nation. Why what's did, not to, what's not to like, <laughs> why did people get on a rocket ship to travel nine months, a trip they might not survive to land in a place who knows what diseases are there or what alien diseases or just personal skirmishes? What equivalent of Jamestown is going to happen in Mars? Well, if you can now look back where we are and look at how great society is, but you do reach a certain truth, which is this is all great. Taco Bell at 4 a.m. is great. But ultimately, there is something much deeper and more satisfying, and it's being free and knowing that you are setting it up for your children and children's children and onwards for centuries, live a free life. Then things like going on a rocket to Mars start to make sense. Why would you leave it all? Why would you leave the United States as an educated white male in 2022? Well, you start to see a deeper truth. Taco Bell is great for a while, but you can't, you can't go to bed at night you can't look in the mirror and be okay with yourself when you just see what is going on, when there are the metaphorical red and black flags of Klaus's face. Then you start to go, screw it. Let's go to a new world. And to me, that's like one path is we're still in this four-dimensional reality. And so that's one, becoming pilgrims to a new planet. The other is, and this is like the deeply spiritual kind of like acid trip you know far out idea but it really is that we're here to learn something right and when you get a test when you get a question on a test you know the last question it's a bonus and it's a real head scratcher and like organic chemistry and you're like all right i know how to do a problem and then you're like but wait they're not even giving us the proper tools you know they want me to turn a ketone into a carboxylic acid using platinum and you're like wait what in the fuck like what am i no part of you ever goes, hey, Doc, uh, this question's stupid. I can't answer it. No, there's a reason why it's worth 10 extra points on your grade. It's because <laughs> it's insanely hard. And you got to squeeze every bit of your mind to go, how do I get this right? You don't get take the MCAT and go, well, there's no right answer. No, they're trying to weed out the morons. So you really got to get those neurons sweating. It's not supposed to look like it's possible. That's why it's a hard question worth 10 extra points on such a huge test. I can't help but feel that there is something we're supposed, it's supposed to be 
lopsided. When you're a pledge in a fraternity at an SEC school, up until the last day of pledgeship, you were told that you're the worst pledge class in 150 years. You guys aren't going to be initiated. You're going to have to be held over for Christmas break. You're all going to get cut. And then eventually you get initiated. You're never supposed to feel like you make it. the entire purpose, having been both a pledge and a brother, is to make them feel like there is no winning. The tidal wave is coming and you're going to die. How do you act in that moment? And some guys, when they realize there is no winning, they quit. And some guys go, you know what? I think we're all going to get cut, but screw them. Like, y'all are my what? Y'all are my brothers. I'm not going to let you down. Boom. You're in. You understand it. You've been initiated. You now understand that no matter what, you're there for each other. I can't help but think there's not supposed to be an option. You die and go, well, how are we going to win? They had $10 trillion. They had all the gold, all the weapons, all the satellites. They had all the vaccines. They're dropping bioweapons on us, and you're not supposed to. And I just feel like God looks at you and goes, no shit. That's why it's the final question on the test. What do you do when there is no other option? Do you cave and do you betray yourself? Or do you stand up for what's right? Even when, you know, your stomach's turning and you could vomit and your and your knees are jelly. I think that's the other thing is so it's either this is what's pushing us to this is the growth factor as a society to push us to a new planet or there is some higher level. We're we're being put through the gauntlet. This is your Ph.D. thesis. Are you getting the check mark or not? What do you do? Because it's very easy. It's very easy to try to win when it looks like you can win. It's not that easy when you're like, okay, so it seems like the CIA and every intelligence agency and every banking industry and defense contractors all in on some weird transhumanism elite. Should I go along with it or should I try to do the right thing? I'm going to try to do the right thing. Are you nuts? Yeah, a little bit, but you have to. And then the natural criticism would be, what if you're wrong? What if this isn't a test? Oh, no, then you did the right thing and you're proud of yourself anyway. Where's the drawback on that? There was no test. There was no God. So you're telling me I stood my ground and did the right thing for nothing? <laughs> oh, shit. What, what a disaster. I don't really know if there was a question in there or if that's just me with my own existential crises, but that's what I think. I, I, I actually, or simulation. I, I appreciate what you said. Thank you. I think there's a third rail too. All right. Um, and that's um, the possibility that the task at hand is to refine yourself, your own soul. Oh. Um, that that that's that's the um, the so that's a, that's another challenge. Okay. Um, is and it's a personal one that personal journey of um being uh of of self um you know this is a kind of a buddhist wave of thinking about it of the, the personal journey of becoming an enlightened being mm. um and uh being at peace and seeking peace um uh so that's a, just another thing to think about but i appreciate what you were saying also no, I like yours. I do think that is a, you know, in doing this podcast, I've lost more weight. I've stopped drinking. I've read more <laughs> books. I've meditated more. I've grown closer to my family. I've done more charitable acts because there is a point where it's almost like I'm going to control my own fiefdom of my own life. And yeah. there's, I think it's, I think it is a Buddha quote, Siddhartha Gautama, right? It's uh, only by exposing ourselves again and again to annihilation can we find that which cannot be destroyed? Nice. It's just the centermost nugget. It's that diamond at the very center that you can't melt. Everything else is ablated. And then there's just that purity at the center. Well, I well, think that is probably a pretty good place to... I was about to say, man, what a... Give a wrap. What a, what a, <laughs> put a little cherry on that. That's, uh, that's question everything, except uh, don't question me when I say... Get Dr. Malone's book when it comes out. What what day next month? Do you know? No, it's not. It's going to be November. It's towards the end of November. I don't know the specific date. I hope it it hits uh, that. It's it's in Tony Lyons' hands now. We've it is <laughs> it is, it is, it is out of our hands now. It is it, just so. All right. Well, uh, 
I would love to have you back on for that book. Thank you so much for coming on here again and listening to my incoherent ramblings, which, well, we started with COVID. We kind of stayed on COVID and then, I mean, what, in 10 minutes we're on JFK and then Jekyll Island and then eventually Buddhism. So yeah, we went to the, we went to the big picture this time. That's good. It is. So let's all the way out. Beautiful. Well, I think that was awesome, man. I, I, not man, doctor, Dr. Blunt. I love talking to you. Thank you for coming on as always. I thoroughly enjoy these. You've got a beautifully inquisitive mind. And uh, I look forward to uh, to many more. And uh, man, Matt, I'm trying. I'm debating. Should I call this episode "Transhumanism Psychosis"? Just to do it. Just, okay. <laughs> just to stir the pot. All right, Doctor Bloom. Thank you so much. Safe travels. I will message you this episode when it's up. And I look forward to getting your book and having you on for that sometime next month, December, whenever it is. Thanks, Tommy. It's Thank always you so pleasure. much. God bless. God bless.